Hello, it's May. What a pleasure to share this episode of Mo's Conversation with Tiffany Smith. Tiffany is the Chief Executive Officer at Camber, a nonprofit organization founded in 1996 that equips partner organizations across the, get this, $887 billion or outdoor recreation economy to implement best practices in workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tiffany's planned, developed, and showcased major initiatives for smaller nonprofits and national brands like Girl Scouts, Planned Parenthood, and the Urban League. Initiatives such as these have allowed her to provide successful fundraising and marketing strategies and raised awareness, built allyship, and secured millions in revenue. Tiffany and Mo talk about why inclusion counts in the outdoor recreation space for today and tomorrow, how far they we've come, and the distance we have yet to go. I hope you enjoy it. Imagine if work was actually good for people, not just for a few people, but for everyone in every job. Sadly, work today is often not only not good, but is actually terrible for the human beings who work there. We can do better. On this podcast, my friend and colleague, May Ratz and I, Mo Carrick, with our amazing guests, bring you both the hard questions and the real solutions to reimagining and resetting every workplace from the tiny mom and pop to the mega company to be good for people. When we thrive at work instead of just survive, everyone wins. Let's take a look at what it takes to make work human. Hello, we are here. Welcome, Tiffany. So good to have you on the podcast, everybody. We will have just read your formal bio so our audience knows who you are. But I'll just say by way of a personal introduction, how delighted I am that you have managed to give us the time to talk on the Let's Make Work Human podcast. I've admired your work from afar for a long time. And just it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mo. I'm just truly delighted that you would even think about Camber joining your conversation. So super excited to just jump on in. So thank you again for just having us on. Yes, absolutely. And so we're going to hear more about Camber as we go along and your very important role in it. I will right. tell our listeners right now that I first learned about the organization many years ago when I was involved in the board was mm-hmm. learning that organization at that time was called, and this will help people understand what Camber really is, the Outdoor Industry Women's Coalition. And they were really at that time very focused on working in the outdoor industry around women's leadership, helping women to find roles and to be successful in that space. And I know Camber has evolved way beyond the OIWC vision, but when you came into your your role now, you had been at Camber for a while, heading development. And now, is your official title CEO? It is. Yes, yeah. it is. I wasn't sure because it's a 501c6. I wasn't sure if sure. it was exactly CEO leading this organization through a period of a lot of growth and transition. So well done. Tell our listeners a little bit about as if we were in second grade, what do you do at Camber? I run this amazing national nonprofit that supports companies in the outdoor industry, create more diverse, equitable, and inclusive work environments. So Camber, in a nutshell, we offer programming and resources to our corporate partners, small businesses, and nonprofits to really up-level their team skill, specifically around DEI, with taking a closer look into the systems that they currently have and providing leadership, resource, and change around those systems where everyone is provided a chance to support and work in the outdoor industry. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I tried my best, Mo. I tried my best there to break it down. Get it down. That elevator pitch is solid. It's solid. <laughs> and the outdoor industry historically has not really been as as keen of a place for both women like you and I and for people of color like you. And so how vital is it, of course, like from where I see that you and others like you are leading in this space, which has historically attracted a lot more white and male employees, candidates, business owners, and founders. I would totally agree. Early on the OIWC days, I think just the vision behind it was just ahead of its time. Really being able to look at this industry that has such an economic force throughout the U.S. overall and identify some areas and say, hey, we need to figure out how can we support 
more women in leadership initially. And so to me, that was trailblazing leadership at its best. And now that we are Canberra Outdoors, we changed our name around five, six years ago and really looking to just expand the scope of those that we serve. So moving not just within the women's scope, but also with other underrepresented groups within the BIPOC community, within LGBTQIA, just making sure that we're really looking at the whole scale of the underrepresented groups and how can we really support corporations and small businesses and nonprofits to really know and understand what it means to not just attract diverse talent, but retain that talent and how that talent can really impact the outdoor industry economy, especially as we see the landscape of the world and workplaces are continuously evolving and changing. So important. And it's interesting. I was prepping for our conversation today and I was thinking back a little bit. I was reviewing our questions. I was remembering it must have been 19, I'm going to date myself now, 1981. I got my first job as a guide in the wilderness space. I worked for Outward Bound and I lived in New England and I was working for Hurricane Island Outward Bound School, which is in Maine. And I had to go outfit myself. And I went to EMS, Eastern Mountain Sports, which is the only place you know that you could get like outdoor clothes. And there were no women's options. There were no clothing designed for it, no colors. Everything was one color set. And I was lucky because I'm tall. So like a lot of the men's tall things fit me. Mm-hmm. When I went and began working in that profession, I met other women like myself who didn't have gear, didn't have equipment, didn't have something. And, and oftentimes were very much the only. And that changed somewhat over the course of my life as we saw more women entering adventure sports and adventure activities. But certainly with other underrepresented groups, we're still quite behind. So I think the work that Camber does is so important to just even in the outdoors, not even in the industry, but in the outdoors itself and to be seen for the ways in which they are engaged. It's such important work. So what drew you to this work? You were, because you were at Camber previously on development and I'm not sure, where were you prior to Camber? That's a great question. So early on, I'm going to date myself as well. So it's okay. I love growing up. I'm proud. We're wise. Exactly. About 16, 17 years ago, I started off my career initially in the nonprofit space. Mm -hmm. My mentors introduced me to fundraising and development. And prior to that, I was in, in the corporate sector in sales and in marketing. But there was just something that was missing for me. And my mentor introduced me to the nonprofit sector and fundraising. And the missing link was that community involvement and engagement and impact that I was looking for within my workplace. And 16, 17 years ago, I started off as a fundraiser, um, a brand new fundraiser for Mm -hmm. a nonprofit in my hometown, Battle Creek, Michigan. I wasn't quite sure necessarily if I was going to be a success. It was my first introduction Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. fundraising in this way. However, that first year I raised over a million dollars and it was in that moment I knew this is it. This is my niche area. This is what (laughs) makes my soul happy. And I'm allowed to get up every day and have a bright smile on my face doing the work. And the nonprofit space really offered me that. However, Mm -hmm. when I was transitioning into Camber, it was a little after the George Floyd Mm -hmm. murder and I'm an empty nester as well. So it was a really a pivotal life moment for me as I was thinking about what was next in my career path. And what I knew for sure, and I still know it today, is that I wanted to leave a legacy beyond my last name. Mm-hmm. I wanted the imprint of me being here on this planet to be one that is positive, one that I could look back on and say, I was able to help to forge a path for those that look like me, for those that are underrepresented. And so when I saw the opportunity for Camber, connected with the recruiter, they literally interviewed, I believe, all over the U.S. for the chief development officer position at Camber. It was the perfect mix of me being able to feel good every day about the work that I do, understanding that I'm going to leave a legacy 
and an impact that matters. But then number two, it really married a lot of my areas of expertise in the realm of the nonprofit sector around strategic planning, around marketing, around fundraising and development. And it was like the perfect, it was the perfect fit. I came on the team about a few years ago, and that first year was just a rock solid year. We were able to really transform how we engage with our partners, diversify our funding, as well as grow our partner base and our impact. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just keep it going. And within that first year, we had two co-CEOs, Emily and Renita, two phenomenal leaders that really forged the stage for me to have a strong foundation at Canberra. They both were afforded two new opportunities mm-hmm. and they were going to resign. I'm like, wait a minute, this is one of the best workplaces <laughs> um, that I've had the opportunity mm-hmm. to lead in this executive capacity. I don't want things to change. I don't want this climate, this work environment. I want to stay connected to this work as long as I can. And so I said, the only way that I could potentially guarantee that is if I put my name in the hat for the CEO position. And after some guidance from some board members, Mm -hmm. a little courage, I said, you know what? I'm going to put my name in the hat. And I did. And throughout the interview process, they ended up hiring me or promoting me, I should say to the CEO position. And it'll be a year I'm coming up here soon. So a few years in total at Canberra and just what an amazing team, what an amazing board who is definitely a part of our Canberra team. And just this industry has been phenomenal. So long story, but just truly. It's not that long, and but I love what you're saying. And actually it's through one of your board members that we were able to get an introduction. I specifically asked Scott Allen, who is a client. Can you introduce me to Tiffany? And Scott on the pod too in a couple of weeks here, which is exciting. I love so much of what you're sharing about your story, including, I don't know if I've ever had anyone who has said those words, that when you took your first job as a fundraiser in a nonprofit, that you just felt like you had found your joyous calling. Like that's just such a, because many pe- for many people, that side of nonprofit work is challenging. How do we get the money? How do we ask for money? So I love that in terms of just the, something that I'm passionate about and talk a lot about is how do we find the work that helps us come alive? And one way we find it, I think, is by recognizing it when it comes. And I hear you saying that like early in your career where you were like, hey, this is it. You also articulated that doubt that comes both early in your career with, is this going to be, am I going to be good at it, is what you said. And then also getting the courage, getting the support that you had from your allies to help you really go for the CEO job at Camber. Sounds like also another crossroads around, can I, will I, is this possible in order to open the possibility? So it just makes me think about how critical it is in our careers that we take those risks that allow us to explore a new thing and to go for maybe something even bigger than what we thought. Absolutely. I could not have imagined that I would be here today, literally. Mm -hmm. I'm completely comfortable and enjoying every moment of the work that I was doing prior to being elevated. However, I will say I am enjoying this as equally, if not more, Mm -hmm. Um, just because it offers different elements where I am able to not just serve the industry or serve our stakeholders, but I'm able to serve very closely my staff, the board members, those pieces of service, those pieces of being able to look at my team and look at the work that we're doing and support them to elevate them to their highest level, to to offer opportunities for them to really thrive in an environment where you can make mistakes, where you're allowed to be human at work and it's not, you're not negatively impacted, where who you are, your race and your gender is accepted and you're given the tools to be able to thrive. That's great. It describes the ideal conditions for really being that kind of workplace and having that kind of impact. I want to stay with that for a minute because you spoke of your legacy and I think that in in my research, purpose and meaning is one of the really important things is one of the top things that we need from work. The ability to feel like what we do matters 
to someone. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about a couple of months ago, I read a quote that was from you or attributed to you anyway. You can tell me if it wasn't you. And I don't remember where, but it was a couple of months ago where you said, and I quote, ultimately Mm -hmm. we are, and the we was at Camber, creating an ecosystem of inclusion that extends from the parks to women and underrepresented groups holding leadership positions within companies in the industry. And I'm curious about what dreams do you harbor when you say things like that? What's behind this legacy that you feel so firmly for? Yeah, great question. I love this conversation. I love love this conversation because I love to be able to just dream out loud, right? And as we're thinking about If we look at the current um, state of the industry now, we understand that it's 81% white and the other percent, of course, is of the underrepresented groups. Then we have 66% that is white of the consumer. And then, of course, 30 plus percent is the underrepresented groups as a consumer. And Mm -hmm. we look at those two differences there between the workplace and the consumer, Mm -hmm. what we find is a huge opportunity of at least a million jobs going to potentially first candidates. And so we find ourselves here. So when I think about dreaming about what the outdoor industry looks like or how can we impact the industry to get to that space where we can welcome more than a million diverse candidates in the next 10 years, just think about what that would look like in the industry and how much more of a force economically we would be if we would really think about how do we ready our workplaces and spaces. And so for me, that is where the intersection lies. It lies not just at access to outdoors, but access to the indoors of Mm. outdoors access to really making sure that we are allowing anyone of any race, color, and creed to really be a part and not just be a part at the entry level, but being very strategic in making sure that we are advancing women and the other underrepresented groups with director level and above. And that does include a unique collaboration, I believe, that we're starting to see or starting to form now as corporations and nonprofits and grassroots level organizations are coming together and saying, how can we make the industry more inclusive for everyone? And it is at the intersection of workplace access, outdoor access, climate and advocacy at both particular entry points and even participation. We're going to be greeted with more diversity than we've ever had before. Mm-hmm. And my question And every day that I do the work, what are we doing today for the future of what work is going to look like? Mm -hmm. How are we preparing our teams? How are we preparing our corporate partners? How are we preparing the underrepresented groups to make sure that we're all aligned with one mission, one focus, which is to build inclusion in the outdoor industry in a meaningful, impactful way beyond just the marketing pieces that show diversity. But when we pull back into your back office, it's only one or two faces that don't look like the majority. Making sure that we're really aligning our efforts with what we're saying and what we're showcasing, that we're really modeling and living that walk. And it's going to take collaboration for us to advance at the level that we need to advance especially when we know in the next 10 years that minority today is going to be the majority in the next 10 years or so, especially when we're talking about viable age for the working class. So those are some really pause moments that I just spoke about in reference to the stats. Like, think, whoa, like, what is it going to look like and how can we prepare and what does that look like? And every single day at Canberra, we're striving to, number one, be able to have our partners not just have the resources, but measure annually the work that they're doing to be able to track that through our Canberra survey system. And then two, being able to really build community and providing opportunities for everyone to come on board and to be a part. And then thirdly, is to really just to invite collaboration across the industry Mm -hmm. as we leverage another disruption, if you will, that's on its way. 
Yeah. And one thing that struck me just again, in case our listeners didn't notice it, but this rings true in my lived experience too, which is that the the participation in the outdoors is higher in underrepresented groups than it is in the workforce. So we've got another example. And I say another, because it happens in many industries where the market for products and services serving the outdoor industry is larger than, and doesn't match what the employee base is in terms of underrepresented groups. So that's really significant because I think what insight, what Represented groups often make up in this industry, but also in other industries, at least this is what I've seen in the outdoor industry, is that there's a story by majority groups that the underrepresented groups are not frequenting the outdoor industry, the outdoors itself, as often as represented groups. And you think of the legacy history, even of something like mountaineering or climbing, where we do have a disproportionate participation of one set of demographics. And that is really profoundly shifting as access to the outdoors and access to the variety of activities that can be pursued in the outdoors really increases that it becomes something that is participated in more by all. So I wanted to make sure to underline that. I'm curious, something else you said, I want to make sure that our listeners really understand. You talked about the viable age of the middle class and this next transformation that's really coming. So tell us a little bit about what that means in your industry. Oh, absolutely. So when we think about it, so people of color, the BIPOC community overall will be majority of the American working class. They're estimating by 2033 or so. Population and, basis, yep. Yes, based on population, absolutely. So when we think about that in reference to the census, that affects literally everything. Look at how can we bridge some of these racial and ethnic divides that we have within our workplaces. When we talk about equal pay for equal work, we talk about benefit structures and plans that other underrepresented groups find more important than others per se. Mm -hmm. Other classes have different preferences and needs than others. We're talking about benefit structure. And so that is something that's going to be high on the list. We're talking about really modifying, changing and improving the benefit structures within workplaces. We talk about just their rights overall as employees. And we're thinking about how legislation has impacted workplaces. We're going to begin to see even more of that as the demographic of this nation begins to change and grow and emerge. Now, so all of those different pieces and those different elements are going to directly impact Um, The way we do work, the way we live and how we just just every single thing that we do literally is going to be impacted because the world is going to become something it never has before. And while it is exciting to say it around innovation and just different things that we can do, there is also that element of, but what am I doing now to make sure that my workplace stays competitive? And of course, my answer is going to be, you have to focus on DEI. You have to really focus on what initiatives are aligned within your organization and what impact are you having and how are you moving the needle in reference to that. You used such a good word. Thank you for it. When you said prepare, we need to prepare our leaders to be capable of navigating the diversity that we are going to have to deal with, which we already do, right? But it, but in ways that are, it's about how we build skill, how we really partner across difference, how we listen differently, how we meet the needs that are different from the changing demographics is, I just love that you use the word prepare. And I'm curious because you see this in your world. And again, we're talking right now very much about the outdoor industry. I think a lot of what we're talking about can apply to many industries. But when you, if you were to think of your market with Canberra Outdoors as a giant stormy ocean, right? Just big old waves and wind coming from everywhere. Use the outdoor metaphor here, right? What I love you, it. What do you see the successful boats doing? And what are you noticing about the boats out there that are sinking or are taking on water in terms of what you're driving for? Yeah, that's a great question. We are seeing a lot of success and then we are seeing some stagnation. And then of course, We have identified some things that we will identify as a sinking boat, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing is that about four years ago, we're going to our fourth year now, we created the Canberra survey system. And so a lot of the data that I'll be talking about will come from that survey system and some of the practices that we're finding. Because what we are finding is number one is that companies that have DEI as a part of the fabric and the strategic vision 
of the organization, if it's outlined in the values, if it's in their strategic plan, if that vision is transparent to leaders, that is one of the successful keys of having a successful boat, if you will, navigating the DEI ocean. (laughs) Number two, I would definitely say is buy-in from leadership Mm -hmm. and model demonstration of DEI from leadership. Mm -hmm. And when I say demonstrated, meaning that the companies that we partner with through our Canberra survey system, what they're showing is that they are fully resourced or properly resourced, meaning that DEI should not necessarily be a part of one individual's add-on position, but how can you resource it? How can you really make sure that the company is getting the tools and the resources needed to really impact and evoke change in the organization? You have to be able to measure what you're doing. The Canberra survey system that we do have the year-on-year data for some of our partners, other partners do it biannually. It just depends on what the partners are looking to measure or what amount of time they're looking to complete certain goals. Third piece is that being able to really empower DEI leaders and give them the influence to really be able to implement change. A lot of times companies will have a vision statement around DEI, but don't really empower the leaders that are doing the DEI culture changing work in the organization. They either don't have a seat at the table or they don't have the influence to impact the organizational systems and policies that need to be changed. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Let's Make Work Human. Every one of us at work can make a difference to building workplaces that bring out our best. If you agree and want support for how you can make a difference, head over to our website, momentum.com or mocarrick.com to join our weekly show up newsletter, chock full of inspiration, tips, and tools. If you connected to what Tiffany shared about actions we can all take to build equity at work, you might be ready for a streamlined approach to developing yourself or the people leaders on your team to be good for everyone on their team. Go to leadingpeopleprogram.com to learn more and apply now. All right, let's get back to the show. Yes. Oh my gosh, so much there that I want to just like uplift and celebrate and also acknowledge is something we talk a lot about too. And and one of the things that I've found really disturbing on multiple levels is what we've seen happen to, in particular, CDOs, chief diversity officers, but other appointed positions for DEI. We saw such an uptick in 2020 after the George Floyd murder and other murders. And then we've seen such a downtick now around material progress. And so something you said that I love is, and it's something we try to practice at Momentum is how do we integrate DEI or DEIB right into everything we do, including our leadership development program. We teach it right in our leading people program. How do we build a culture where it's not an add-on and it's not this one person is going to miraculously transform our organization? Because oftentimes what we've seen is that person is often an underrepresented member of a group as well. And they're coming in as the only or one of just a few. They're often not given a senior enough position to have the status and authority to drive meaningful change. And then the organization wonders, why are we not getting traction? We can tell you, it'd be like me saying to my childcare provider, if I had young children, here, I'm no longer raising my children. You raise them now. Like I had daycare when my kids were little, but I didn't advocate parental responsibilities. I still needed to be a good parent, as did their dad, but they were critical partners in helping me figure out how I could get to work and get assistance to support the care and feeding of my kids. And I think it's somewhat this, which is that the those diver, the diversity talent that we bring in is really a partner to support in the internalized accountability, ownership, and learning of every leader on station. Absolutely. I love, I love absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree. I would also say that the companies that are doing it well, it is resourced and they have an additional staff person and or a company like Camber or a consultant supporting and helping as an additional team member to really guide that conversation to really help and support guide the goals and the blueprint for the company. Yeah, because we don't know what we don't know. Right. Right. We don't know. We don't know. And if we keep doing it the way we do it, then we aren't going to have the change that we need. So that's where that outside perspective, whether it is in someone you hire, a partner like Camber or a consultant such as me or others, that can make such a huge difference to say, hang on, here's the thing you're missing. 
here's the thing you're missing. I love the survey. I love that you're doing it. I love the year over year data that you're getting. It's so important. One of the things we see in our clients that continues to be a surprise when we do culture surveys in particular is that the view of the culture looks really different depending on the identity cards that you hold and mm -hmm. the majority or minority status of people like you. So, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm the only woman in a male engineering company, I'm going to experience that company culture very differently than my male counterpoints can will. And that's, I think, really hard sometimes for, for majority representatives of companies to get their head around because the way they experience, they're like, I love this culture. This culture exactly. is amazing until they get that data and they say, whoa, it doesn't look so great for my trans colleagues or for my black colleagues. Be able to let that really sink in. I wonder why. How do I be curious about that? What's it like to do them in order to know what levers can I help us pull to mm -hmm. get actual change? No, that is phenomenal. You said something key there too, Mo. You said being able to really leverage it in a way in which as you're sharing it out with your employees, when you're getting that, that data and that feedback, the key thing is that it's the outside partner doing the measuring. Yeah. A lot of companies sometimes try to do their own survey systems, which, you know, is great and phenomenal. But with this particular area, having an outside person to measure the data and to have the questions that are aligned with all of the needs of the underrepresented groups infiltrated within that survey, yeah. that is exactly what it takes to really say, here is where my company is today. Here is where we need to go. And then we're able to assign a relationship manager to help support what does it look like by quarter to hit your goals, to hit the benchmarks, to achieve the goals that you set out for the year. And so that's why with the Canberra Survey System, we partner with Claremont Graduate Center in California. And they just phenomenal partners. And we've managed to really be able to measure the things that impact and matter most to everyone and mm -hmm. still tweaking it. We're still trying to figure some different pieces out, but for the most part, we have such solid information to really help focus, not just who we are as an organization as Camber, but also to help be a part of the change taking place overall in the outdoor industry. Beautiful. And I'm imagining that part of what you're providing, it sounds like, is tangible and practical ways for people Absolutely. to do the next hard thing or to take the hard step, whether it's a policy review, a policy change, a different recruiting practice, et cetera. Absolutely. You're able to really give them a bit of that roadmap. Absolutely. One of the things that we did last year, because we, again, thinking about the future of work. And so we created this program called the Voices of the Future of Work. It is what I like to call 10 meta ERGs, if you will. Oh, nice. Um, we identified 10 different underrepresented groups and we had conversation around workplace in particular workplace in the outdoor industry. What candidates are looking for? What are some of the barriers they're seeing from the various different voices? Because we don't have them represented in our industry. It was highly important for us to be able to amplify their voice. And so with that particular program, we were able to capture some things on video, but more importantly, we created this insights report for mm. our partners and small businesses to say, here is the roadmap to what it looks like to build inclusive space for Black voices or for Latinx voices or for PI voices. And so we really were intentional around making sure that we just don't get together in a room and decide, which traditionally has been the go-to is where the leaders in a certain position, a certain executive level will come together. More than likely in most cases, it is all of the same ethnic group and they're making decisions based upon every group. And from the past, we know it just that doesn't work and that won't work, especially now that we're seeing such rapid changes. I'm sure that none of us could have predicted from health crisis to economic crisis to financial crisis to the change in the demographic. All of these different pieces are impacting our workplaces. And if we don't have the voice of the underrepresented highlighted and amplified, and if we are actively making changes 
when those voices aren't present in our workplaces, then we may be in a position where we're going to lose our competitive advantage. Absolutely. We have to be very careful, I think, over the next few years with not not going with feels comfortable and what maybe others have known to be successful and to have the courage to innovate. Mm, Yeah. Beautiful. And it's interesting to talking about comfort because I, something I've been sitting with a lot lately, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Vivek Murthy, who is our Surgeon General, who just published the Surgeon General's Report on Workplace Wellbeing and just recently came out with six factors to reduce loneliness, which we know is a huge Mm. issue at work Mm -hmm. and everywhere Mm -hmm. in our nation. One of the things that's been really interesting to me is I've watched as systems, as workplaces get better at doing exactly what you're saying, which is like, how do we really hear the voices of the voiceless? How do we not make decisions that are limited to how we've always done it in the past? We also start noticing the courageous voices of even those within group who weren't seen. And a good example for me is what we're seeing men as again, dominant force in the outdoor industry as well, where men are facing a lot of issues right now at work and everywhere else. Highest incidence of depression and suicide rates, highest perpetrators of gun violence, lots of opioid addiction, loneliness, crisis at the point of retirement. And we have men in the workplace who are facing challenges like, how do I take my paternity leave without feeling like I'm going to be stigmatized because I took leave that they say they want to give me, but at the same time. And so I've noticed that when we're doing DEI really well, it becomes also possible for those folks who maybe are from majority groups, but also have voices of need that are valid to be uplifted and seen because their identity too gets a chance to talk about. So I think that's important because we tend to think that the entire population of, let's say, the insider group is something we know, but it's not. There's other needs, even within group, that that haven't been able to be seen and heard as well because of past practices. Oh, no, absolutely. 100%. I think that I think you hit it right on the head. Just really for us, for sure, is amplifying that voice. And um, inclusion means just that the environment is one where everyone, every single person feels safe. Every single person can show up as their best self and not be judged. And the systems within that particular workplace are for the people that make it happen every day. It, It... Seems very simple to say, but sometimes hard to implement for some. It ha- has been historically because of systems that have been built in other times and places that we've exactly. changed. Exactly. So I'm curious, when you think about Camber then, where do you think is the biggest opportunity for your organization, Camber Outdoors in particular, to be brave in the coming years with its leadership in the market that it serves? What's the next frontier in terms of helping with this legacy work that that you're talking about? Yeah, great question. And I'm a big visionary and very very strategic, but always optimistic. So much. I think if, when I think about Camber, maybe 10 years from now, we'll probably be in the metaverse, right? Mm. Um, (laughs) <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I always tease my daughter about, and this is totally off topic. I'll jump back on, but <laughs> and about how everything that we're seeing now, from when I was growing up watching the Jetsons, is literally manifesting. Like <laughs> it is literally happening. <laughs> I know. I know. It's mind blowing. No, I have the same experience sometimes. Which is why I say, oh no, because I'm like, oh gosh, this is this metaverse world is is one that I find scary. But I also realize I found scary much of what we have today it was on the Jetsons that now is real. So. Exactly, and so I literally go there. I go to a place where interaction and engagement, and what you're talking about, that element of employees and workers feeling lonely and not feeling that sense of community. I envision Camber today up until that point and beyond being that place of community for the outdoor industry in reference to DEI. Mm-hmm. It's the hub organization along with others that are forging the path to create inclusion, become a reality for everyone, whatever that looks like 
from five years from now to 10 years from now to 20 years from now. And I envision us building stronger ambassadors for this work at various leadership levels within the outdoor industry where we can materialize and see at least 10 years from now, 1 million diverse candidates having access roles and responsibilities that are meaningful, that are impactful, that can really allow the this economic engine of the outdoor industry to continue to grow at the rate and the speed that it is growing. That's hopeful and optimistic. Not, I hear you and I'm with you on the workplace. And I love that. And in particular, I was thinking about, I had this argument with my husband. This was a long time ago, but he, so we're both out enthusiasts. We grew up in the industry as guides and instructors, and he's a big whitewater expert. And a couple of years ago, he got to go on a self-guided trip with friends down the Grand Canyon. And the, I didn't go because I had another young kid at home still. And it was a trip of a lifetime. He loved it. I think he's been back since. And, but that first trip was the one he came home from and he was complaining about all the helicopters that were soaring mm. around the Grand Canyon. They made so much noise. And we had this argument and we recently revisited the argument because I was asking him if he had been thinking about it much because his argument was like, this is destroying nature. And I said, I agree, it's a noise, it's a sound. But on the other hand, not everybody can get down in the Grand Canyon. And I was thinking about in particular, I have two nephews who are developmentally disabled mm. and they would not be able to probably take a multi- day or even multi-week trip on advanced whitewater class five rapids into the Grand Canyon, nor would they be physically capable of either hiking or riding mules to get down in there. So if my sister and her now adult children ever want to see the grandeur that is the Grand Canyon, they're going to have to go in a helicopter. Mm. And the fight that we had was about like, what gives you as in this case on the dimension of difference that is about physical ability, what gives you the right to that access when others don't have that ability? And isn't there a way that we can have both? And it really pushed him probably in some of the ways that you and Camber are pushing organizations to think about who they represent around the outdoor industry includes the bigger invitation of the pursuits of everybody into this thing we call the great outdoors that is really ours. Not mine, not yours. It is yours. And we all deserve access to it. So it strikes me that there's a bigger, there's the workforce that supports that industry. And then there's the industry overall and our mindset of who gets to enjoy it. Oh my goodness. This is so good. The first thing that I thought about when you were talking, I was thinking about, but we were in, if we were in the metaverse, it could mm -hmm. be an immersive experience where everyone could experience it. Yes. But but the thought still is there that even with creating an immersive experience, you still have to have the underrepresented at the table. Yes. You still have to be able to engage in a way that is impactful and inclusive, even in the process of building. I would venture to say that as we look forward to the future, as we look to create spaces, as we think about the elements of climate and access and what does that mean? As we think about the element of participation and consumer spending, the thread for me is simple. The more diverse your workforce is, the more that you have gender equity in the higher levels of position within your company, the more profitable you're going to be. The more you're going to have space to innovate and solve not just one problem, but two. Maybe there's another solution beyond the helicopter that someone else has that doesn't look like you or I, right. but they're not at the table to give your company that, that innovation. And so it's like, where do we start? We start now. We start with what you have and we keep going until we stop growing. Mm. There is no end once you do, okay, I've done my DEI for this year. This company is done. Like we've got it. No, we don't, we don't end this DEI journey until we're done growing and we'll forever be growing and evolving. So this journey is just now become a part of, should be to me, just a way of life for us yeah. and the way in which we do work. Yes. The way of life for us. I'm reminded of so many, of so many moments when I've been prompted out of my own identity by people who are different than me sharing with me and letting me see the world as they experience it. And two stories that come up 
with what you're saying. One was going back to the Grand Canyon example. I, I was just reminded as you were talking of a friend of mine, Jeff Babb, who suffered a brainstem stroke a couple mm. of years ago. Je Jeff looks like me, although he's male, has been an outdoor enthusiast for years, suffered two severe brainstem strokes, has since invented oh. a wheelchair, which wow. is basically a wheelchair that with the support of a community can go and he has in fact descended wow. into the Grand Canyon. It's powerful. And he's finally getting some traction wow. with partners in the industry to mass produce this for people with physical limitations. Wow. The other memory I had as you were talking is many years ago, I was working in an outdoor experience. It was actually a leadership experience in Michigan. We're homeland. We are up at Camp Daggett up okay. in Petoskey. Oh. And it was in the winter and we were, we did an experience where we had, we basically got everybody comfortable enough to sleep outside for the night. And this one woman was a participant was a nonprofit leader in from Detroit. And she was literally hysterical because she just did not feel she was going to survive the night. It was like four degrees out. And she was a woman of color. She said, I've never done that. This seems ridiculous. We ended up getting her comfortable enough. She slept out. I happened to be the first one to bring her coffee in the morning. She was like bundled up in her bag with just like her mouth open. And I said, how was your night? And she literally started to cry. And she said, Mo, I didn't know there were stars like that. I never saw them before. So not only did I survive the night <laughs> doing something I didn't think I would do, but also I've experienced this connection to the natural world that I never really knew existed. And I, it makes me tear up just right now hearing it and the realization I had in that moment of, wow, being, being who I am, having the identity cards I've had, I actually was privileged enough and had the good fortune to be born in a time and a place and with color of skin that gave me yes. access to that experience much younger than her. And who would I be to keep anyone from having that experience? So wow. that's what Amber can facilitate so by powerful. transforming the workforce and transforming the companies and their mindset about how they deliver what they do out there in the industry. Oh my goodness. That's so powerful. I have a similar type story. I remember whenever I had challenging times in my life, the outdoors became my sanctuary. Mm. Whether it was normally my go-to is like a jog. I'm a jogger, not a runner. Like <laughs> I used to run track. I used to run track, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Between a jog and maybe a bike ride, um, I really want to get into hiking, but long story short is this, is that when I also did take on this role, of course, mm -hmm. I started doing more things outdoors. Mm -hmm. And for one of the conferences I had to go speak at, I had not rode a bike since I was in, I want to say back in the day, just call it junior high. Uh, but now it's middle school. <laughs> I didn't go middle school back then. <laughs> it was junior high. So I had to roll my bike since junior high. I was turning 45. It was last year. And I was like, I'm going to get on a bike before I leave. And I did. When I tell you that bike ride literally took me back to the days of my youth when life was just, it just felt so much simpler I was able to just think a little bit clearer, to dream a little bit bolder. I said, you know what? This is just such a gift. And you are 100% right. Like every single day that we are striving to help and support workplaces in the outdoor industry, what we're really doing is we're opening up the door and saying, come on in, everybody. You're welcome here. And we're just helping our corporate partners and small businesses and nonprofits put all the systems and tools in place to be able to greet them properly. <laughs> and you're so right about that joy. It comes back to that joy. Yes. Of like how yes. the, those blissful moments. And for many of us, it is when we're children that we mm -hmm. first get that exposure. So that's one of the things that's also so delightful about what you're doing, the work you're doing at Camber is that you have employees who maybe now also have families that are experiencing mm -hmm. the pursuit of these these outdoor experiences in ways that they also wouldn't have thought of. And also dealing with the challenges that re that represents. I There's a local group. I live in Bend, Oregon. And there's a local group here who is working. They do a summer camp program for Latino, Latina, Latinx youth. And they were telling me about 
how they, one of the challenges they've had to overcome is the perceptions of the families about those experiencing experiences being dangerous because mm. it is part mm. of the culture that many of them have grown up in. There's also yeah. sometimes low trust, particularly if the instructors do not look like them to really have a learning curve around, no, this experience actually, it is safe. It can't be done very safely. Your kids are going to be okay. Here's what this looks like. It's an educational process as well, because again, like we were talking about culture internally, we don't know what we don't know. And I love that acknowledgement around meeting you where you're at and creating the confidence that this too is for you. Exactly. Absolutely. It may not look the same if for you as it does for me. So that's also powerful. They've let their programming be somewhat determined by what it looks like that is good for that population. Absolutely. Oh, it gives me goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps. All right. I know I've gone over on our time, but tell us, we will put any of these things in the show notes that you want, but how can our audience support your great work, Tiffany? Oh, this is great. I love this moment. Number one is we're building community. So definitely get in touch with Camber. For the next month, I'm doing what's called Coffee with Camber. But it's just a 15, 20 minutes. I'm just connecting with the outdoor industry and I'm looking to hear more around what DEI leaders and practitioners are doing in the industry, looking to find out how can Camber help and looking to see also is the community, are they really enjoying the work that we're doing and the impact that we're having. And so I'm having these Coffee with Camera sessions with the outdoor industry. So please feel free to, to connect with us there. But of course, if you are a corporate partner, um, a small business or a nonprofit, I would definitely encourage you to view some of our free resources and materials that we have on our website um, just to give you an introduction to Camber and then also potentially set up some time to connect with myself or the team to talk about being a part of our organization in a more formal way. And then thirdly, we have a lot of corporate partners that partner with us, but more importantly, they support the small businesses and the nonprofits that we fully sponsor. Mm-hmm. And so we fully sponsor over 150 small businesses and nonprofits that don't have the capacity within their budget for DEI. So we have these corporate partners and these foundations and individuals that give above and beyond to support the work of those companies that have DEI as a focus as they're growing. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the three ways, of course, of impact and how they can support and stay connected with us. But of course, follow us online. I love it. And I can definitely vouch for the website is just a treasure trove of resources for any organization, large or small, really looking to advance the traction that they're getting with their DEI efforts. Excellent. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. And um, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Scott, too, for the introduction. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Appreciate those introductions. Can't wait to continue to support your work. and, uh, And thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Mom.